Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. Hosted by Juliana Ertube, a special education expert, this season is all about individualized education plans, or IEPs. Juliana breaks down complex topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP in a way that's easy to grasp. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, and I was struck by the balance of empathy and practical advice. It's not just about understanding the system. It's about empowering parents and caregivers to advocate for their children, which is just so important. So I've known a number of people who've had to literally scramble to figure out how to advocate for their kids when the system seemed to just make it so hard to get the support that they need and deserve. So if you're a parent navigating this world or even just wondering if it's right for your family, I encourage you to give Understood Explains a listen. Search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. It's like having a roadmap for a journey you didn't expect, making it a little less daunting. So imagine stepping out of your day-to-day life and just dropping yourself into a gorgeous 130-acre natural playground for three and a half days of learning and laughing and moving your body and calming your brain and reconnecting with people who just see the world the way that you do and accept you completely as you are. So that's what we've created with our Camp Good Life Project or Camp GLP experience. We've actually brought together a lineup of really inspiring teachers from art to entrepreneurship, from writing to meditation, pretty much everything in between. It's this beautiful way to fill your noggin with ideas to live and work better and a really rare opportunity to create the type of friendships and stories you pretty much thought you'd left behind decades ago. It's all happening at the end of August, just about 90 minutes from New York City. And we're well on our way to selling out spots at this point. So be sure to grab your spot as soon as you can if it's interesting to you. You can learn more at goodlifeproject.com slash camp or just go ahead and click the link in the show notes now. It's a good life. It's a good day. It's a good life to be here this way. It's a good life. It's a good, good, good life. 
If you've ever used a GPS in a car or a GPS app to get directions and you happen to have hit the little voice on your GPS that says the Australian female voice, there's a decent chance that you've actually heard the voice of today's guest, Karen Jacobson, also known as GPS Girl, whose voice is in something like 400 million GPSs and smart-enabled devices, ended up landing that gig having no idea she would eventually be the voice of the GPS in hundreds of millions of people's heads and cars and all sorts of other things. What she really wanted to do was go from being in Australia to being the next Olivia Newton-John in the United States. So we dive into that journey, into her early days, into how she ended up landing the, the GPS gig and how that eventually reflected back and began to amplify her career in a completely different way than she ever imagined. A lot of fun with this conversation. I hope you enjoy. I'm Jonathan Fields. This is Good Life Project. So it's really fun to be hanging out. We haven't seen each other for years. And both of our first big professional like media break happened at the exact same time. <laughs> I guess it was the end of 2001 or beginning of 2002, something like that. Mm -hmm. Shall I tell the story you want to? Uh, I'm curious how you experienced it, actually. You tell your vision first. <laughs> All right. So I was back then, I had just opened a yoga center in New York City. You were like one of the first people in the door from what I remember. You were mm -hmm. one of our first students when there were, you know, like three people. In first day of sign-ups. This big classroom. And it was like, you know, I was like, wow, this feels really kind of vacant. And shortly after, we got a call from somebody from the New York Times. And who wanted to do a story and include us. And they sent a photographer in. So they took a picture. And you were in class that day. I think you were one of three students <laughs> in like a thousand square foot room. And it was me teaching. And the photographer was like underneath you inside and all around you taking pictures of me teaching and of you practicing. And you were very kind not to freak out. And then shortly after that, there was a photo of you doing yoga and he was kind of shooting through you doing down dog and me behind you teaching. And that ended up on the front cover of the job section on the New York Times, which because that was also, they had just launched it. Mm -hmm. It ended up being plastered on buses and billboards around New York. That I don't know if you knew I that. I did not know. <laughs> I need footage of that. Yeah. <gasps> um, I was freaked out because for the first time I thought, well, this is cool. It's on the front page of like a major section in the New York Times. Right. And then I was literally walking down the street and I see it on a bus. I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> did you ever get a photograph of it on the side of a bus? So I didn't. But you know what? Back then, if you knew people at the Times, which I did, you could actually literally get the printing plate from a page. So somewhere tucked away in a closet, I have this, you know, like actual size printing, like metal printing plate from that one page that has us both hanging what? out in this picture. I'll have to find it. Okay. I'll, like, I'll take a picture and send yeah, it to you. Yeah, really? Really? Wow. So can I tell my vision yeah, of yeah. the story? So I had been living in New York for a year from Australia on the east side, had to leave the country, sorted out my visa and came back and moved into an apartment on West 49th Street. And it was, I believe it was actually December 1st when you opened the doors. It was right around there, yeah. Because that was when I moved in and 
there was a flyer. I think there was a flyer. Oh, yeah. We completely, we, we were not sustainably oriented. No. <laughs> we papered the entire day. Right? And yeah, right. And yeah. I saw Yoga Studio on 9th Avenue and 51st Street, and I was yeah. like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. I'm so lucky. I, it was like a kismet moment for me mm. to see that flyer because I had fallen in love with yoga the previous year, ah. moving to a new neighborhood, and didn't know how far I was going to have to travel to yoga because- 14 years ago, yoga wasn't everywhere the way it is now. It wasn't. And that neighborhood was also not the way what it, is. it is now. Now it's like very kind of like upscaled right. and gentrified. And there's great restaurants. all over. But back then it was, it was like block by block was very sketchy. Exactly. <laughs> so I was like this, I've hit the jackpot and I came around to find out the story and I met you. The owner. Because there were only two founder. of us. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, and I signed up for the, you know, the full, you know, unlimited yoga every right, month. Right. Like I came in knowing I, I, I need this. And I was just so thrilled and delighted. So I, I feel very excited that I was there at the beginning of your, well, of that part of your transformation and that part of your business life and to watch you develop and and then move on from that business which still runs yeah, which is, is awesome. such an incredible accomplishment yeah, first of I, all I love that that you know like I'm literally out of it longer than and I owned it. it now yeah because I was I I started it I you know built it for 7 years and mm-hmm. sold it and it's now to seven I years. love the fact that the community is still there and right. flourishing it's so cool right and so I uh, I was a part of the furniture at Sonic Yoga for <laughs> a really long time until and in fact until one day about Three months into or four months into my pregnancy, I was in a yoga class and was so tired. I just, I mean, it was was 10 minutes in. I had to lie down Mm. for the entire rest of the class. And my body was saying to me, there will be no yoga for you Mm. (laughs) during this pregnancy, (laughs) which is so counter what I would have thought. But anyway, that was it. So, and at the time, because let's fill in some legs here now. So it was funny because I remember having this conversation with you back then. Like you were like really excited. I'm going to show my mom. And it's so weird how this is like popping into my head right now. I remember you saying to me, like, I always hoped that I would like be in like major media or be in the New York Times, Mm -hmm. but I never thought it would be for this. Absolutely. Right. So let's kind of like take a big step back and fill in some of the blanks here because your profession, your art, your passion. Tell me about it. When I was very small, I would sing along to everything on the radio. And then I started to hear little melodies in my head and started to write songs. And I knew that they were important and I needed to work out how to write them down. So this is about the age of seven. Mm. And I wasn't really sure how to write them down. So I scribbled the words and and wrote what I thought were notes, just not on music paper, but just on regular paper. And when I was seven, I saw the most important and influential person in the whole world on TV. And that, of course, was Olivia (laughs) Newton-John. And that moment really set the course for my life because she inspired me. And it's something about her coming, this blonde Australian female singer coming to America, being embraced, being loved here. I just knew that's what I want to do with my life. I want to become a professional singer and move to America (laughs) like a lightning bolt at seven. And throughout my life, I then, and my schooling, I was playing piano, writing songs, singing in everything possible with the vision that one day I'm going to move to America. And at the age of 31, 
I was now living in Sydney, Australia. I grew up in Mackay in North Queensland in a tropical town in the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. and worked my way down to Sydney. I'd been there 10 years building my business and my life and was just like, hang on, I haven't done, I haven't moved to America. And what I really want to do is that. So you were still, you're like, that was part of the original vision. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Become a professional singer and move to America. Uh, But why the America part? Like, why was that so important? I'd seen Olivia do it. That's what that particular experience was. But as I grew older, there was a shiny, bright light over here for me. It was attracting me to come here. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, Americans are super huge generalization now, but Americans are welcoming and upbeat and casual and encouraging. And you say you want to accomplish something and an American will go, great, go for it. An Australian might go, what do you want to do that for? Really? Because Australia is about the lifestyle. Uh, Australia is about- Take me deeper into that. Oh, yeah. Australia, and in many ways, I think the priorities are excellent because Australia is like, what are we doing on the weekend? Mm. And the weather is very good in many parts of Australia year round. Well, especially in Queensland. Exactly. (laughs) And the beach is right there for most of Australia's population. I mean, there are over- 200 beaches in the city of Sydney. Mm. You know, it's it's a beach life in a city for many people. So there are boats and there's swimming and there's surfing and there's it's all about the lifestyle. What are we going to do on the weekend? Where whose place are we going to? Where are we going to go outdoors and enjoy this paradise we live in? So that I think is part of why Australia is so lifestyle oriented as opposed to business, 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 which of course exists there. They have an economy and Australia is a successful, very successful country, but America just has possibility. There's this, and especially in New York City, Hmm. my absolute experience moving here and then, you know, moving here with a suitcase and a dream at the age of 31, which is kind of old compared to a lot of people moving somewhere to start a new life for a new career. And I, I, you know, I, I want a, I want a big record deal. I want to tour the world with my music as a singer and a songwriter and a piano player. People are like, great. How can I help you? Who do you need to meet? Oh, you need to meet my friend so and so. That was my experience over and over and over again. Which, and it's so funny too, because you hear stories of the exact opposite from here. You know, so I've been in New York my whole life and, or you know, I grew up just outside and I've been in the city for a really long time. And what was so interesting is back in the days where I owned the studio, the vast majority of our students were all, you know, like singers, dancers, actors, because we were, you know, like just off Broadway. Mm -hmm. So I was surrounded by so many people, and so were you at the time, where it was just like go see, go see, go see, rejection, 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 close, close, close doors, to the extent where I was always wondering, I'm like, how can you keep going on in a profession like this? So it's so interesting to hear you say that your experience was almost the exact opposite. Well, I would say there was a lot of what you're talking about also because the structure of the entertainment business, I find, what's a really strong word? (laughs) Soul destroying. (laughs) (laughs) Because it is you go and audition and then you either get it or you don't and it's a numbers game and most often you don't for many people. Mm. So there is a, a real accumulation of disappointment 
which, if taken personally, can be soul destroying. So, how, but how do you not take that personally when it's sort of like you're the product? It's extremely difficult. Yeah. I think it takes it takes everything in a human being to keep their mindset straight during that kind of experience. I mean, I feel like in many ways I'm still still recovering from the heartbreak mm. I experienced in the music business and I've managed to create my own road, you know, in my own way. Did things turn out how I expected and 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 did things work out did I accomplish what I came here to do? I didn't. Not yet. But I still believe it can. Mm. However, along the way, other incredible and, and Amazing things have happened that I'm very happy to be doing. Yeah. So when you hit New York, what were the early days like then? The first year, my my year on the East Side. I mean, I arrived with 33 telephone numbers of friends of friends. <laughs> Seriously, I started to tell everybody I knew in Sydney, I'm moving to America. I'm moving to New York. Right. And a lot of people were like, really. Was there something that happened? Like, was there a moment in Sydney that just made you say it's time, or were you? Was it just a gradual? I had a relationship breakup, mm. and I thought, okay, well, I've got to do this now. Now is when I have to do this. Mm. And I knew I wanted to move overseas. I knew I wanted to move to America, but I wasn't married to New York as an idea at that point. I had several cities in mind. I, I always thought I'd move to LA. I thought I would go to Brisbane, Sydney, LA. But when at this particular moment, I felt really drawn to New York, even though I'd spent only a handful of days here ever. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because if the vibe that you were describing around Sydney before is really close to sort of like a Southern exactly. California type of vibe. So it's almost like in a weird way, it's almost like it wouldn't have made sense for you to move from there to Southern California because it's kind of like you're just changing the accent, but so much is the same, whereas New York is a much more mm -hmm. profound change and shift in opportunity too. Exactly. And when you ask if there was a moment, it's only recently that I re-identified this particular moment and the Broadway show Rent, there was a production playing in yeah. Sydney, Australia in early 1999, I, th I believe. And I was, I went on my own and I was sitting in the audience watching this show and I just was, boy, so moved and so connected to what was happening energetically in that show that it was like the lightning bolt of, I'm moving to New York. Mm. I don't want to sound like a cliche, Jonathan, <laughs> but I, it was so interesting that it was like, I'm moving to New York. No, I understand that actually. That I remember seeing that show, the original cast, like in the very <gasps> early days in the city and just weeping. It was so powerful. And it was all about like sort of like the bohemian super creative scene in New York and the struggling artists just trying to make it. Mm -hmm. uh, so you land here with 33 <laughs> phone numbers. numbers. And at my suitcase, I stayed on a friend's couch for the first few weeks. No. And then I rented a room, which was a closet off, a, off somebody's room on the east side, and I set out to meet people for coffee, lunch, dinner, drinks, all those 33 people on that list. Hmm. And, and, yeah. and your goal at that point was to become the next Olivia Newton-John in America, or yeah. had it evolved? Yes. Uh, yes. So, all right, I'm going to zoom forward a tiny bit, but maybe it's not actually that much because I don't know the timing of when this happened. But In 2002. Okay, so your voice became known to hundreds of millions of people mm. 
in a way that I'm guessing you never imagined. Come on, I mean, possible? No, I mean, no. So, so take me there. So, 2001, you and I met. I'm practicing yoga three times a week at Sonic, and I'm going to auditions. I have a great New York voiceover agent. I am singing live many nights a week. And I get an audition and the client is looking for a native Australian female voiceover artist living in the northeast of the United States. So I go along to an audition and they have me say some things like, at the next intersection, turn left. And and all kinds of directions and numbers. I did all the numbers up to a couple of hundred, you know, all these different things in the audition. And they said, oh, well, we, we want to hire you. You've got the job. We need to take you up to Ithaca in upstate New York for three weeks. We're going to record only four hours a day, every day for three weeks to do this text-to-speech voice system. It's about 50 hours of recording and you're hired. So up I go. Did you know what the job was at the time? No, I knew I knew it was an involved voice system, mm-hmm. a big voice system, but I didn't know what it would be used for. And they weren't really even telling me what it would be used for. Mm. They had some ideas of some of the things that would be used for. They probably sensed she'd want like royalties or more money if you knew. Mm -hmm. So I go up and do this job and four hours, nine till one, they didn't want my voice to sound fatigued in any way. So I recorded from nine till one every day and then I'd go to lunch. I'd go to Moosewood for lunch, which Mm. was so super yummy, and go back to my hotel room and write songs and hang out until the next day. I did that for three weeks. Then I went, came back to my life in New York City as a singer and songwriter. And fast forward a couple of years. And I- So you just kind of forgot about it. You're like, all right, interesting job. You're like, whatever. Yep. 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 Money arrived. Great. What's next? And then a couple of years later, I got a voicemail message from a girlfriend who also lives in New York. She was on the original list of 33 people, by the way. Hmm. And- She said, Karen, you know, it's Christmas and my husband and I, we're just driving back from Maine to the city after Christmas. And I bought my husband one of those new GPS thingos. And, you know, we're in the car and I said, turn it over to the Australian voice. And so he did. And we're listening to the Australian voice and, oh my God, Karen, Karen, it's you. It's you. And I turned to my husband and I said, oh no, I bought you Karen Jacobson for Christmas. (laughs) And that is how I found out my speaking voice was in GPS units and now ultimately, you know, smartphones and voice systems in more than 400 million devices around the world. So you're the, you're the Australian voice. That's right. I'm curious how you felt about that originally. Which part? <laughs> Finding out that you were the voice and never really knowing until then. It was weird. Yeah. Wow, this is that job I did. It was just very, very weird. But th- I've had that experience repeatedly because... I will be staying in a hotel and hear my own voice. I will get into an elevator somewhere on the other side of the world and there's my voice, land at Brisbane Airport and my dad picks me up and we go and we jump into the elevator to go into the parking lot. There's my voice. I mean, my voice pops up with regular. (laughs) So was that all part of the original session or is this now just sort of like the building body of work that's kind of gone down that path? Much of it is the original session. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, they got a lot of mileage out of that. <laughs> Pardon the pun. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> Daddy, immerse me again. That's okay. I mean, such a, like, talk about, you know, like the big break that you never imagined would happen. But, but I guess 
maybe I'm making an assumption there because so this is something that comes out of nowhere. You don't you do the job, you vanish, and then you realize that here's your voice and like hundreds of millions of devices and and things and locations around the world. Did that create opportunity for you? Well, I had two choices. I could be upset about it. Why would you have been upset about it? How dare they use my voice everywhere and right. I don't even know where it's showing up. And I mean, you know, right. you can you can find something to be mad at. <laughs> or I felt like, well, there is something in this. And I it took me a little while to work out how to harness the opportunity. But once people started to find out that it was my voice directing them, I would start to have the most fascinating conversations with people. First of all, they would treat me like they knew me, like hmm. I was a member of the family. They would then, and they still do now. And they want to tell me their GPS stories. They want to tell me the wonderful places we've traveled together. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> they talked to me like I was there, you know. Oh, my goodness, last weekend uh, we went to my cousin's wedding in Milwaukee. We, Milwaukee, we had a great time. Fortunately, we didn't get lost. Like They talked to me like I was there. I've had children write songs in my honor and draw me pictures and poems and tell me how I'm a member of their family. Mm. And and one little girl who who said, oh, you know, wrote me this beautiful letter and said, we know your name is Karen. You know, you've been with our family for four years now and we've gone <laughs> on all kinds of wonderful trips. But we, even though we know your name is Karen, we call you Zoe after our, my pet bird who died. <laughs> so people humanize that voice. Mm. And I, I knew there was something in it because of the light in people's eyes when they were relating to me and they were so present and so connected and so alive and entertained and and delighted. I'm like, well, this is not something that happens every day unless <laughs> you suddenly have a conversation with someone who's been with your voice all the time. And the, the level of familiarity with me was outstanding. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, did it at all lead to uncomfortable scenarios where people actually <laughs> assumed that they really knew you and where they kind of were like were too forward? I no. haven't ever had an experience that I can think of in this moment where it's been, you know, completely inappropriate or yeah. rude. Mostly people want to apologize for yelling at me, <laughs> seriously apologizing to me. That All happens right. with regularity. That's pretty funny too. Yeah. So, but I want to, I want to kind of circle back to um, sort of like the original thing though, because you think about, okay, I got paid for a job. I'm hundreds of millions of people know my voice, but they, but they don't necessarily know it's me. And your original dream mm -hmm. was to be the second coming of Olivia. Right. So did this experience open doors to that? to parts of that dream in some way. It ultimately did. So in those early days where people were very excited, I wasn't quite sure how to to what to do with this, even though I knew there was something in it. And then, goodness, so my husband and I had a financial, you know, right at the, the GFC, we had a personal financial crisis. And we, kind of a long story short, we got ourselves, we were in the middle of an awful legal case. We got ourselves into terrible credit card debt. Mm -hmm. One of the ways we thought we could handle this was by, we came into a small amount of money and we ended up 
putting a down payment on an apartment with the strategy that once we closed on it, we could then refinance and dump all of the credit card debt, which was at 30% at that time, down into an 8% mortgage. So we had a really good strategy. However, we closed on our apartment in August of 2007. And a month later, when I called Tim, our mortgage guy back to say, we're ready to refinance, he said, oh, Karen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, we can't do that anymore. So uh, we were really stuck and I was six months pregnant with our son at that time and both my husband and I are in the entertainment business and work had dried up Hmm. and what we ended up doing to recalculate, as I would say, is we rented our apartment out. We had to, we really had to make a a big move to sort sort this out and we, we put tenants in our apartment. We used frequent flyer miles and flew back to Australia and actually lived with my parents for a whole year Mm. to get back on our feet. And uh, I did deals with 19 credit card companies, one at a time on the phone, 0% five-year deals, and you know, worked with the mortgage company to refinance our mortgage. I worked for 11 months on the phone with the mortgage company in another time zone to sort that out. And ultimately, we did modify our our mortgage at the end of 2009 and could make plans to move back. So Mm. we've been back here since 2010 and we we paid off every cent of that debt where we got it all handled. So it was almost like you were starting fresh when you came back. Absolutely. And why I was uh, telling you all of that story was during that time when we went back to Australia, you know, we had a small child, a tiny baby. We had all this debt. We've had less overhead now because we had tenants in our apartment, but we we had to make this happen. We had to really get get things sorted out and and get back on our feet. And at that time, I started to just really have clarity around what I could do with this platform I'd been given. And I saw a vision for myself as having a brand and I knew what there was to do was to create an empowerment brand. And I call that brand the GPS girl. And mm. I, it was very clear to me very quickly, oh my goodness, I'm going to I'm going to speak and I'm going to write books and I'm going to have online content and I'm going to, you know, do events and I'm going to like just all of it. It was very clear to me that I wanted to get this message of, you know, it, it's never too late to recalculate and that really you can make your life what you want to make it and you can be your own inner GPS anytime. And I knew there were a lot of ways to get that message out there. And I wanted to explore as many of them as I could under the umbrella of that brand. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting that had either one of those things happened, you never having sort of randomly landed this job, mm-hmm. um, which a few years later, you only found out was sort of, you know, like you, you being the GPS girl. Right. And then um, going through real financial hardship, mm-hmm. it's like those two things happen and all of a sudden the, like the pattern recognition engine in your brain went on and said, wait a minute, there's actually a way to marry the story that I've actually been living and like the recovery sort of like, you know, I've, I've just been through a couple of years of hell mm-hmm. and figured out how to get back on my feet. And at the same time, there's this thing that's been just kind of following me around for years that I've never really understood had like had a leverage of the power in it. Mm. And it's like that somehow those two came together in a way where you said, oh, that's it. So what did you start doing around that? Well, I, you know, because I made that connection between directions in the car and directions in life. And I really got to marry my lifelong love of personal development with with this brand that, you know, this persona that I've been given. 
and I I actually saw a very inspiring interview with Dolly Parton hmm. on 60 Minutes, and it was, uh, I think, two weeks after we got back to Australia, and those first two weeks, I, I mean, we just needed a little bit of recovery time because we'd been really been through hell. And so I rested and kind of got myself together. And then I was like, okay, it's two weeks. It's time to really go for it now. The Sunday night I'm watching 60 Minutes and Dolly Parton, something about her, she was so, she is such a smart businesswoman. Mm. And this interview was really inspiring. I'm like, wow, I, it's time to go for it. And so the next day I was sitting at my computer and I just went to the page of the number one breakfast television show in Australia, which is called Sunrise. And I just wrote on the you know, the, the person in the street page was, I didn't have a contact and online. And I, I just wrote and I, I said, I think your, your viewers would, would love to know the face behind the voice in that, at that time, 25 million GPS units. Mm. And, uh, I'm right here in, in Brisbane. So within an hour, the phone rang and the next day I was on a flight to Sydney mm. and in the prime spot on that show, and that was the beginning of my brand. Yeah. So you really just said, I mean, it's so interesting too, because this, it's like the value in this opportunity was sitting there for years, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that happens with so many people is that there's this huge asset or huge resource or huge capability that's kind of like right in front of you for years. And you look at it every day and you're like, you see it there. But you don't know how to mine it. You don't know how to actually tap it in a way that opens something bigger, right? So it's so it's fun to see, you know, how it, this is what happened with you. It's you know, it was there, and all of a sudden, like something just happened. You're like, wait a minute, this is you know, like rather than just saying it was a job that I did, and, mm -hmm. um, this is a huge door that could be opened. But then it took you taking action, you know. Well, I've had it said to me repeatedly that. This is, it's a very unique take on something. Yeah. You know, and it's, and I am proud of that because I could very easily have just not done it because I was put on this planet to make music. Right. You know? Right. So, what's happening with the music while well, this is, I mean, you're, so that you're still in Australia. At this I'm point. in Australia for a whole year. Right. And you could birth also. I have a baby boy right. so and I'm in Australia for a year. And, I realize I'm starting to build this brand and I start to have very interesting conversations and connections with some major brand development companies in California from Australia and all kinds of things coming across my path. And I realize that I need to have a product out there pretty quickly and because I'm getting amazing national press in Australia and I want to have something else. So I released an album that I had released in the US but not released out in Australia. And so my music was a part of my story and my persona and my whole self. So the first thing I released was that album and I had a lot. It was so interesting because I had a lot of press that year, major press of people coming and saying, now, I know a lot of people are doing a story about your voice being in the GPS, but we want to do something different. We want to cover your music. <laughs> the number of articles that happened and, and press. Really, like, is that okay? <laughs> I know. And I was laughing to myself. Right. So music was a part of it and always there through that period, that development phase. Um, then I wrote my first book and, you know, did an online 
uh, interview series and all kinds of other things. Um, but as my speaking business uh, built and I speak uh, at, for a lot of, you know, corporations and associations and I travel a lot for my um, speaking engagements, I weave music into my speaking presentations. Mm. So the music is always there. I give a keynote where I talk about recalculating and how to navigate change and how to keep going no matter what and give the five directions for recalculating and a, a process on how to do that. And I weave music into each of those five steps I I play. There's a piano on stage. I play and sing. So it's unique and it's ev- expressing everything that I'm here to do. Yeah. So you really turn that into this really distinct blended performance right. where you get to sort of take all the different pieces of you and integrate them. Right. Do you like speaking also? I love it. Yeah. I love it. Do you get the same Jones from that that you do from singing or performing? I guess it's performing. Similar. From- Similar. It's a little bit more serious, I think, to speak than to sing. Mm. Because there's an serious may not be the right word, but singing, I find I'm in another zone altogether. It's a different zone. Speaking, I'm it's I'm still fully there. Mm. If that can make sense. Yeah, it does to me. It's almost like there's this transcendent type of where yes. you kind of go somewhere where you're singing. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're on stage speaking or keynoting, it's like it's you and the audience. But I love it. I yeah. love to speak. And that was a very, very interesting uh, transition too, to be somebody who had a message. And originally when I was starting my brand, I thought it was going to be a travel brand. Hmm. And that once I had my... GPS Girl Travel brand up and running. Then I would transition into a personal development brand. And it was fear because who am I to tell people how to live their lives? Who am I to give advice about, you know, I'm not a therapist. I'm not, I'm not this, I'm not that. And it wasn't until I really realized that, oh, I need to do the thing I want to do, not something warming up to the thing I want to do, which is have an empowerment brand. And I am a 100% expert on my experience. Right. That's, that's, that's all you can speak to. I needed yeah. to get to that. Yeah. It's so interesting you say that because so many people, I've had this conversation, I'm curious you have also with so many people where they're kind of like, who am I mm-hmm. to, to say that I have, you know, I have the answers and it's like, it's the wrong question. It's like, you know, it's, it's not about having all the answers. It's just about acknowledging that what, whatever you've lived up until that point of life, you've got something to share. You've got your story, you've got your lens, and you've got whatever you've learned. It doesn't mean you you have to be the most knowledgeable or the best person in the world at it, but there's somebody somewhere out there where there are a few steps behind or a few steps off to the side, and the way you've experienced something, the way you might phrase it, is going to make a light go on, and there's value to that. Right. And when we were talking before about the way this um, brand took shape for me, uh it was obvious and I was trying to work out how to do it. But I think there are so many times something is actually super obvious to us and we, we, we don't think it has any value. We, you know, do you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? We, we just, we, ta- we do, we take it for granted that we know how to, uh, fold laundry better than anybody else or, you know, or, or, be able to structure our morning to have the most productivity or whatever it might be or know how to, to gosh, do the best 
but have give have great tools for how to to go for a run and be in the best shape afterwards or whatever it might be but there are little 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 things that everybody has uh has some level of amazing expertise at but discredits themselves and thinks it's too obvious yeah and that's not it's not valuable yes totally agree um there's a lot of imposter syndrome around oh also. gosh the um I'm curious. I'd love to actually get a little bit more granular with you. So, because I'm, I'm really curious. I, I know so many people who are interested in some way in speaking. Oh, good. Um, and probably a lot of people listening to this um, have thought about it. I think a lot of people are terrified, but also intrigued. <laughs> um, you know, it's the number one fear whenever yes, surveys are done. But at the same time, I almost think that a lot of people can, if they could see themselves getting past the shaking and wanting to throw up um, and up there and be able to actually hold the room, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that that's sort of a really cool place to be. Once you started to get all this media attention around the GPS girl, people wanted to know, like, this is the woman behind the voice and mm -hmm. that's opening media doors to you. And, and then some of those media doors were like, oh, you do music too. And can we talk about your music? What did you actually do to say, from here, I want to start to speak and get paid to speak and start to make that happen. I'd been a part of a number of leadership programs and really developed myself actually as a speaker, not for money, through those leadership programs mm. before we moved to Australia. And I knew I loved being in front of a room speaking. I knew I had plenty of fear around it, very different to singing at the time, put me up on stage in front of thousands of people and no problem singing, but speaking, I've still had a lot of fear around. But I knew I wanted to do it and I knew I had a message that I wanted to share. And I started to tell people that I was wanting to speak. And a friend of mine was doing a lot of speaking and he said, oh, I've been asked to emcee this three-day event, but I'm not going to be able to do it and I've given them your information. And I got booked for that event, which was phenomenal because I was, I kind of stepped into that realm mm. in a professional sense right away and met an incredibly successful speaker at that event who said, I love your ideas and I, I love what you're planning to do with your own keynote, you should join the National Speakers Association. And that was in the back of my mind for a while. And then I I had people asking me, come and share your story. So that, that was a part of it as well. Mm. And then we moved back to New York in the May of 2010 and I attended my first NSA meeting and felt like I was home because here were all these people from amazing different walks of life who were professional speakers and that association teaches people or helps to support people who are building a, the business of speaking. So I've been heavily involved in NSA for the last six years and mm. I'm the immediate past president of the New York City chapter. I'm involved on the national level and it's to me it's like an alternate UN of people, you know, thousands of people speaking for from around the world on different topics, you know, educating and, and informing people and it's a community I really love being a part of. So it's through NSA that I've learned so much about how to build my speaking business. Um, and I hired a coach, an amazing coach who was a former president of NSA, and he really has been instrumental in helping me start to see my worth and that it is okay for me to be paid at all, let alone be paid very, very well to go and share my story and that my story is good enough 
which I am still mm. reminding myself. Is that why you mentioned you can take the stage in front of thousands to sing and you're totally fine, but to speak, the fear rises up? Well, it doesn't now, but back back then when I was first starting, it did. Yeah. I think it's that fear of really being exposed. You know, we are completely vulnerable at that moment. We are standing on a stage in front of people. All attention is on us. And, oh, my God, what if they find out I'm I'm really an imposter? What if they find out I'm not good enough? What, mm. what if they find out? But it's so interesting that you felt that with with that but not with singing and and playing playing piano, which I, th I think a lot of people would feel even more vulnerable about because it's sort of like bearing your soul. <laughs> yeah, it's like people are judging you based on you know like your singing ability, your playing ability, your composition ability, and the story like behind the words. Not that I'm trying to like shake no, you. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm and I'm. But I'm, I'm just. Good. It's it's really interesting that we all have different triggers. Maybe also because you were doing that from the time twenty five years born. of that so already. Like, yeah, yeah. You I kind had of that. just you've owned that at that point. That's right. Yeah, that's so interesting. I love how how you ended up basically taking these two things and putting them together into one, which also I think makes you really distinct. I've seen one other person do that once before, and it was Ben Zander, who mm -hmm. and would would kind of like flies through the audience and then runs back on stage and plays a little piano and then flies through the audience. And and it was like one of the most captivating. He, he did this for two straight hours and mm -hmm. held an audience of like 5,000 people captivated. Mm -hmm. You know, it must be so interesting for you to sort of bring speaking and your music into one thing to create this experience that takes people somewhere. It's heaven. You know, I... I can have my moments of thinking, well, I haven't accomplished what I set out to accomplish, but how fortunate I am to have this whole other world open up to me I didn't expect that I absolutely love. And I almost feel like my my purpose is bigger than I realized in the first place. Mm. You know, I have a message to share and my life is the – and my own experience is the – I suppose the example that it is never too late to recalculate, you know, that I moved from the other side of the world to New York City on my own and built a life. You know, I'm firmly rooted here. I, I'm married to an American. I have an eight-year-old son. We live right here in Midtown. I mean, I'm deeply in love with New York City. I have this, you know, had that awful financial, you know, low point. That was That was like a real moment in my life. That was when I really had to had to dig the, you know, one of the deepest, <laughs> dig down deep more than ever to come through that and complete that, you know. And my husband and I, I'm just so fortunate I married the love of my life and that kind of experience can tear a couple apart and it made us stronger. We made sure it did, you mm. know. And to, But there are just, when I'm on a stage, sharing about recalculating and sharing that it really it is all about noticing when you're off route being willing to make a change taking action i'm using examples from what i've lived and i think that's how i am now able to stand there and do it without feeling freaked out it's mm. because i know it intimately yeah. and i did that and no it's not the most dramatic story in the world or the or the most this or the most that, but I'm not trying to be. I'm just sharing what's worked for me and know that that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. You have circled back to singing in a pretty major way. Mm -hmm. You have landed on some 
astonishingly large stages over the last handful of years now. I have. I have. Talk to me about that a little bit. I've sung the national anthem at a lot of major sporting events, and my biggest audience was the a Jets game at Giant Stadium for 80,000 people, hmm. which was phenomenal. And I've sung at the Garden a few times for the Knicks and Liberty and Dodger Stadium and the Oakland A's and Fenway Park. I mean, these are amazing, amazing, iconic venues, and to get to sing the Star Spangled Banner has been incredible. And then a few weeks ago, really, at the end of last year, I was invited to sing at a concert in Australia. It's called uh, The Vision Australia Carols by Candlelight. And it's actually the the biggest thing that happens at the end of the year in Australia nationally. And it is a a concert that is televised to 2.8 million people across Australia and has a lot of very successful entertainers perform uh, this Christmas Eve concert. And I was invited to perform this year and I was backed by a 60 piece orchestra and a mm-hmm. 230 voice choir. And it was awesome. Oh my God. I'm getting like chills just thinking <laughs> it about that. It was an amazing experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what was it like to be back home doing that too? Pretty uh, darn validating, I have to say. Uh, yeah. I felt I was on the bill with people I grew up admiring, you know, they're like some of the who's who of Australian entertainment. And to be welcomed and to be, well, first of all, to be invited and then to be welcomed and then to be made feel like I not just was welcome to be there, but that I belonged there. You know, I was really very impressed with with the people that I interacted with at that event. And, and I felt so, I felt validated. I really did because, you know, I I moved off to the other side of the world and I didn't have a big career in Australian uh, musical theatre or television like so many of the artists on that stage. But I came away from that experience realising that however any of those artists got to the point where they were on that stage on that night, it was just a vehicle to getting, getting there and mine happened to be my speaking voice. It wasn't a Broadway show. It wasn't a television show. It was my speaking voice. So, again, how unique. And I I kind of owned that in a new way, which was really refreshing for me because I, on an ongoing basis, my whole life and career have dealt with the not good enough. Mm. You know, no matter what I do, I'll never be good enough. It'll never be good enough. You know, I deal with that all the time. And it's in the best place it's ever been. But it's still, it's one of those ones that I, d- I don't know if it ever fully goes away. Mm. Having yeah. s- Even though I'm an extremely fulfilled person, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I, I do. I mean, I, I think part of it is, you know, when you dig deep down, whose voice are you really hearing saying that? And then part of it, I, I wonder sometimes, is just when you're an artist, there's like a, a lifetime of of discontent, mm. <laughs> um, which isn't necessarily, I, it's interesting. I, I, I think about this often, you know, that it's not necessarily a bad thing if it's the type of discontent or if you can experience it as fuel rather than f- fuel to, to grow, to work, to connect rather than something that paralyzes and destroys. Right. Um, you know, if you can actually transmute that, if you can make that, then it's something that moves you to do the work every day. But I think also you you can there in a weird way I, I think you can have that discontent and also be grateful for what you do have right now. It's, it's weird to say that I think you, those two can coexist, but I do think they can. 
I'm curious, are your folks both both still with you? They are. So you come home with um, your husband and then give birth there in, in a very, very troubled state. And then you leave. And then you come back five years later in a profoundly different place and your parents get to watch you. Right. What's that like? It's 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 a beautiful thing. I think what's really in it, it because it's been a a a journey for them because I I notice how you know the people around them will talk to them about what I'm doing. Mm. And I feel so happy for them that they have had an opportunity to experience that in their lifetime, you know, because you couldn't find two more supportive parents than I've had. They've just always been there even through my childhood when I was tiny saying when people would ask me what I wanted to do when I grow up and I would say, I'm going to be an actress and a singer and I'm going to move to America. And they would go, really, you'll grow out of it was really the attitude I got all through my upbringing, except from my parents. And they've weathered all of that, all of that and (laughs) all of the years of that. And to, to now be at this place where I've, I've received certain amount of certainly of recognition and it's an absolute joy to see them enjoying that you know mm. it's 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 really fun because it's been a long time coming you know i wasn't the early 20s super quick young success so uh but it sure is sure as heck is sweet now <laughs> mm-hmm. that's awesome so the name of this is good life project so if i offer that term out to you to live a good life what comes up I love, love, love the title. So I am very hard on myself when we're talking about being good enough. And part of my, I, every year I create my year in quite a, quite a lot of detail and what I want to accomplish and what I want to experience. And one of the things that I'm mindful of is having that fall away and really allowing myself to, to enjoy so many aspects of my life and making time to read and which might sound so simple, but I don't know. It's just a lot of schedule, a lot of travel, a lot of things going on in my life and and raising a, a beautiful boy and and my husband travels as well. So and I'm on a mission with my my business and my my brand. So living a good life to me is really honoring myself and my uh, my body and my mind so that I can be in the best shape I can be to do the work I'm here to do. And then to to just be absolutely great with my husband and with my son and be really conscious of having a great time when I'm with them, which I think take sometimes that really I have to remember to do that and not buy into the myriad distraction that we're surrounded by. And uh, really to to just, gosh, to be great with people, to be great with all people, even when it doesn't feel, when even when you don't feel like it. Yeah. Thank you. All right, so I have a request for you now. You can absolutely say no. Is there anything you would want to sing us out with? Oh, it's totally yes. cool if you're not like of warmed course. up or you, ready. You can't, or... you can't ask a singer to, to sing and they say no. Um Okay, I'm going to sing you your own little song, okay? (laughs) (laughs) It's a good life. 
It's a good day. It's a good life to be here this way. It's a good life. It's a good, good, good life. I'll take that. All right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for listening. We love sharing real, unscripted conversations and ideas that matter. And if you enjoy that too, and if you enjoy what we're up to, I'd be so grateful if you would take just a few seconds and rate and review the podcast. It really helps us get the word out. You can actually do that now right from the podcast app on your phone if you have an iPhone. You just click on the reviews tab and take a few seconds and jam over there. And if you haven't yet subscribed while you're there, then make sure you hit the subscribe button while you're at it. And then you'll be sure to never miss out on any of our incredible guests or conversations or riffs. And for those of you, our awesome community who are on other platforms, any love that you might be able to offer sharing our message would just be so appreciated. Until next time, this is Jonathan Fields signing off for Good Life Project. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion.
Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money. 